You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Hello, everybody. Good to be with you, and it really is good to be with you. My, my, uh, my darling wife tested positive for COVID this week, and uh, and so I got a bit sick, but I just kept testing negative the whole time, which is, which really is a miracle. I mean, we sleep in the same bed, um, so you know, there's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a miracle, I reckon. And I just kept testing negative, and so um, I'd actually recorded this message um, on video just in case as a backup. So. Um, so I could maybe sit down and we could just play the video, but, uh, <clears throat> but here I am in person, and, and so I'm grateful to God to be with you and to, and to bring God's Word to you uh, today. So, so we're busy with a sermon series that I called, or that's entitled, Worship in the Wilderness. Uh, this idea of wilderness has fascinated me because uh, this theme of wilderness, we encounter wilderness right throughout Scripture. Um, we come across so many stories of Bible characters who, who, who find themselves in wilderness. But we understand the more we read about wilderness stories in the Bible, it's so much more than just Bible characters that find themselves in a particular wilderness geographical place. We understand that wilderness is also for us a metaphor for the stuff we go through in life. And when we understand wilderness in that way, then this whole theme becomes so significant when we encounter wilderness stories. Because what we come to discover is as we look at these wilderness stories in the Bible, we learn so much about, uh, through their stories, we learn so much about our story and our wilderness experiences. But, but even more beautiful than that, we, we get to see God in these wilderness stories, and we get to learn where God is, and we come to, to a greater understanding of the nature and character of God and what God does when we are in seasons of wilderness. So we learn about ourselves, but we learn about God and our relationship with Him, and so that's what the series is about, and, and so we've looked at different characters and their wilderness experiences. Um, Next week is the last in the series. <clears throat> Next week also is the last in the little daily devotions of uh, little videos I made. I hope some of you are watching them, I, I, um, and I hope that some of you are enjoying them. If you haven't, I think they're still on our thing somewhere. I'm sure you can find them somewhere if you, if you want to have a look at them. Um, they were supposed to be extended for another week, but I think I explained to you why... There's only one week left of the daily devotions because I, I was charging my cell phone with a, uh, a solar panel because there's no electricity. And so there's that. Uh, and my phone didn't want to charge anymore with a solar panel. Uh, my phone ran out of space, so I couldn't record stuff anymore. And, and being 50 this year, I don't know how to delete stuff off my phone to make more space on my phone. And also, if I'm really honest, I really got tired of hiking up this mountain to try and find signal to send these videos through. So next week is the last week of the daily devotions uh, for those of you who are watching them. Today we get to... Um, an interesting story about wilderness. Be first, but before I do that, a story first. So, 
so you will know, as I've explained to you, it was my sabbatical. I took a month where I wanted to do something different. I, I, I love the bush, and so I decided to take a month and, and to train as a field guide, a, a, a safari guide, if you will, uh, but also to thought to myself, being in wilderness, I can use this time to just draw close to God. And so I, I read through most of the New Testament again and spent a lot of time praying and fasting and so on. Um, so that's what I did. It was training to be a safari guide. Now, um, it was my turn to be in the tracker seat. I don't know if any of you know of a safari vehicle, if you know what the tracker seat is. Somebody please say yes, because I haven't got a photo uh, to, to, well, I do, but I don't have it here today. So basically, you've got like a, an open safari vehicle, and right on the front, there's a, there's a little seat that sits right on the, on the bonnet, right on the edge of the vehicle. So if you fall off, well, then you, well, they'll drive over you. But, so, and the idea is that you are there uh, um, unobstructed so that you are the tracker and you've got to find animal tracks and then you direct the driver where to go. And so this particular day, the instructor was the driver and I was in to find tracks and to direct the driver, my instructor, to find these animals. And so as we're driving, I find lion tracks. So I have the bright idea to turn around and say to the instructor, is it okay if we go looking for lions? I found some tracks. And um, the instructor said, okay, well, you're in charge. I drive where you say we go. And so we, and, and, and so we find these uh, lion tracks and we follow them and I track these lion tracks. And eventually, you see, here's the thing about looking for lions. <clears throat> Don't be surprised when you find them. So now I'm sitting, now you must visualize this, right? So I'm sitting on the tracker seat. There are no car doors or windows or, or things. I'm, I'm, I'm exposed. So we find these two lionesses, these two sisters. They had just made a kill. And um, for some other reason, so we stop close to them. This one lioness notices me. True story. Uh, takes takes a fascination, and her and our eyes lock. She doesn't take her eyes off me, and she comes closer and closer and closer. True story, right? And eventually, and she got so close. I'm talking about a meter away here, right? And so, and so I'm not going to lie. Um, at this stage, I'm panicking big time. So I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? I can do like a, maybe I can do like a tuck and roll over the bonnet and roll back Onto a seat back, I'm thinking, can, can I pull that off? I'm thinking, well, I've got two dodgy hips. I'm probably not going to pull that one off. So Bess is just sit quiet. People in the car keep whispering, don't move. I'm thinking, do you think I'm going to move? Right? And she keeps coming closer. So eventually this line there, she didn't quite, but just about licks my leg is how close she was, right? She then backs off a few meters and goes to lie down, still locking eyes with me. It's then that I plucked up the courage, got my cell phone out, and took this photo. <laughs> Can you see the lioness off my shoulder? 
That was not photoshopped. I'm just, just in case you're wondering. That's a true story. So that lioness, you see, here's the thing. Sometimes when you go looking for lions, don't be surprised when you find them. Sometimes we go looking for trouble. And we find trouble. And today's story is the story of King David and Bathsheba. It would be remiss of me to talk about wilderness and not talk about this kind of wilderness. And as I spent time in the wilderness and I was reflecting about what wilderness means, I had to be confronted with this kind of wilderness in my own life. What kind of wilderness am I talking about? I'm talking about wilderness of our own making. Sometimes we find ourselves in wilderness of our own creation. And in the story of David and Bathsheba, we get to learn a little bit about how we, we go about as people in creating such a wilderness for ourselves, but we also get to encounter God and see where God is and what God does when we go and create wilderness for ourselves. And we also get to learn a little bit about what worship entails and what worship looks like or part of what worship looks like in such a wilderness, a wilderness of our own making. And we will then come to discover that part of what wilderness, uh, what worship looks like in such wilderness is the idea of repentance. So by the way, side note very quickly. Uh, I don't know if you've picked this up, but we're going to talk about this next week. I have focused on wilderness. Next week, I'm going to focus on worship in the wilderness. And we're going to talk a little bit about next week what we've learned from all these characters about what true worship looks like in seasons of wilderness. That's next week. David and Bathsheba. Wilderness of our own, of our own making when we go looking for lions. Sometimes we do that, you know. We go looking for lions, and then we're surprised when we find them. Okay, so the story is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to just say this to you. If you look at David, second only to Jesus, David is mentioned in the Bible. Jesus is mentioned in the Bible over a thousand times or so. David, 900 and something times. Moses, 800 and something times. So David is second only to Jesus. 64 chapters of the Bible is spent or devoted on telling his story. There's something about David's life that God thinks we should know. There's something about his story God wants you to hear. And my prayer is that you will hear David's story. And see how he created wilderness. And the idea is that God's spirit will come and maybe wave a little red flag for us. That maybe we might recognize some of what we are doing and some of how we possibly are right now busy creating wilderness in our own lives. Okay. Let's read a few verses of the story. And it's, a, and it's a familiar story. You know the story. 
David and Bathsheba. You've read it many times before. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. If you haven't, well, then we're going to cover it today. But it's familiar not just because maybe you've read it or you've heard sermons on it. It's familiar because actually David's story is our story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, let's read the first three, four verses, and we'll unravel it a little bit this morning. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this woman was very beautiful. And David, then David sent someone to find out about her. The man came back and said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to go and get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from, the monthly from her monthly uncleanness, and then she went back home. Okay. <coughs> so here we have this story, and what we come to discover, if we, about this great king, and it's a story of him not in his finest moments. It's a story about the struggle and this battle with temptation. It's a story about him battling and succumbing to temptation. It's a story about this <clears throat> man of God. And what really is fascinating is, and this is why we learn so much about God and about ourselves and David, in Acts 13, he's referred to as somebody after God's own heart. And yet here we have a story of somebody who messed up, pardon the pun, royally. Big time. And one would wonder when you read the story, is there a way back? Is there hope? Because I, he has messed up big time. And so this is a story where we actually, when we unravel it, we come to see how we create wilderness for ourselves. A little bit of the process, if you will, a little bit of the components involved in how we create our own wilderness. So as we look at the story, may we recognize, perhaps, <clears throat> and then may God's Spirit speak to us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try my best to finish quickly. And then I'm going to call Natanya onto the stage and let us worship God a little bit. And I want you to use that time to say, God, come. Okay, verse 1 is our first clue about how we tend to create wilderness for ourselves. And my story at the beginning also helps us to understand how we create wilderness for ourselves. Verse 1 says, it was springtime. And the way the author writes, it was springtime, and he adds, because he wants us to know something. He wants us to know it was the time where kings were supposed to be at a certain place. They were supposed to be leading their armies in war. 
springtime. I don't know, coming out of winter, maybe, you know, their supplies were running low and it was traditionally the time when King said, listen, we need to replenish, we need some more grain, you know, we need some more horses, let's go and uh, plunder some village, conquer some nation. It was traditionally the time that was kind of war season. It was the way it's written, we are meant to know that David was supposed to be somewhere and he wasn't there. And it says, instead, he was back in Jerusalem. And so here's the first thing I think that we must understand is that putting ourselves in places we should not be and failing to be at places we should be. Are you seeing in your own life an increase or you increasingly not being where you should be? And increasingly being in places you should not be. Warning sign. <clears throat> I'm interested in the why. Why was David, David not where he was supposed to be? Why is it that we stop going to church? Why is it that we don't go to Bible study anymore? Why is it that we're not putting ourselves in the places where God wants us to be, and instead we're placing ourselves in places we should not be? Why do we do that? And verse 1, I think, is really the heart of the matter. It gives us a clue. David was not in the right places because something had changed in his heart. It's always about the heart, you see. The affections of his heart shifted. We get busy with this and with that. And so the, for the value, the things that I value, the attention of my heart, the focus, the affections of my heart changed. That what, that's what verse 1 teaches us. Something changed in his heart. Affections changed. You see, because what tends to happen for us when we achieve some, some measure of success in life or power or authority or accomplishment or means, money in the bank, you know, this kind of thing as David had in his life, what tends to happen is, and almost without us intentionally doing this or realizing is, the affections of our hearts begin to shift. And let's, let's call it really what it is. And, and here's how we see it. Well, I'll show you now. But really, let's be honest. I, I'm, I'm going to just call it quite bluntly now what goes on. What goes on is <clears throat> God is no longer God, but I am God. And so God's heart is not nearly as important as my heart. What God wants becomes less important. What becomes more important is what I want. And that's evidence that shows itself, you see, because where the heart goes, <coughs> the feet follow. So because this is now about me and what I want and what's important to me, my feet follow. And so I begin to put myself in places I should not be. <coughs> And this is what was going on in his... I mean, David was a worshiper. And maybe what was going on, he stopped playing his harp. He stopped worshiping God. And he spent more time doing other things. And so the affections of his heart was changing. And so what is becoming more important now is what I want. You see, and how we see this is in small ways. For example, when I stand in a queue and we get annoyed... 
and we get irritated. Don't they know who I am? I shouldn't be standing in a queue. I have far too much money in the bank to be standing in a queue. <laughs> I'm far too important to be standing in a queue. Or if somebody says no to me, or someone asks me to do something that I consider to be, it's, 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 it's very subtle. And wh what's happening is, is because I am king, and so I should be treated as a king, the affections of my heart are shifted. And so then my feet follow. I think that's what's going on in David's life. He was busying himself with other things. And so in the wilderness, as I sat under a tree praying, I, uh, God confronted me and said, Paul, uh, who has your heart? Do I still have your heart? Or have you taken ownership back of your heart? Who has the affections of your heart? And a way you can recognize that is you increasingly not finding yourself in places you should be and more and more in places you should not be. I think it's a, a, a key sign of creating wilderness. So maybe God wants to be before you today and say, do I still have your heart? Am I still your first love? Are you still madly in love with me? Do you value me and my will and my desires for you, my heart for you, more than your desires and your plan and your heart? Do I still have your heart? Here's the thing. What happens next? And we see this in verses 2 and 3 and 4. He said, it always begins with the heart. See, but when the heart affection shift, what follows, or what's connected to that shift is now, here's the next thing, my thinking, my thought patterns. And so here's the next thing that you want to write down is, what is dominating my thoughts? Let me explain why I say this. See, when the affections of my heart change, everything else follows. And one of the things that follow is the way I think. And so what begins to happen now is, because this is my heart's desire, my brain now begins to, my thoughts, my thinking begins to now rationalize and legitimize the things that I want to do. And so I rationalize and legitimize my behavior. And here's the thing, not just, because then it escalates, because what happens, the more I rationalize and legitimize, the more I perpetuate and escalate the behavior. And the more I propel myself down this road of wilderness. And so here's what goes on in the story. You see, and here's why I know that this is what was happening. This rationalizing and legitimizing these thoughts in order for me to do what I really want, where my heart affection lies. Because if it didn't, if that did not happen, the story would have ended there. The story would have ended, or the story would have gone, and David went up to the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing, and then he did the honorable thing, and he went back downstairs, and he picked up his copy of Modern Warfare and finished the chapter. No. The story, read what it says. It says, 
And then he sent somebody to go and find out who she was. Now, what happened before the and then? The rationalizing and legitimizing things like, it's okay. I mean, just looking. You're over here. She's over there. It's fine. It's okay. You just want to know her name. What's the harm in just knowing who it is? And so this is happening internally, this rationalizing and legitimizing, and so this twister in my thoughts and the way and the things I think about. And then he sends somebody, go and find out who she is. This rationalizing and legitimizing of thinking in my thinking preceded the and then. And then he goes and he's like, well, I mean, what's wrong really just with having supper together? I mean, I can just invite her over. You know, we can have some supper. And just so that we're clear, this is a story about adultery, right? And, well, eventually murder. But this is for everything. This applies to all, I think, struggle and battle with temptation. It's not just about sleeping with someone you shouldn't be. This is universal. Where's your heart? What do you value? Who is your heart? And then you see that in, and then part of that is, what are you thinking about? What's dominating your thoughts? Do you want to, so a way that you can tell who or what has your heart, I ask the question, what is the thing you spend most thinking about? What is the thing that you think about most? will tell you what has your heart, because that thinking is all geared towards making that reality and making that happen. And so, well, it's okay if I just, you know, we can just have supper together, just get to know her. You know, maybe she's a nice person. And then he sends somebody to go and fetch her. There's that internal battle that goes on. The heart and then everything else follows. My thinking, my feet, my hands, it all follows. That's why Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your. Who or what has your heart? What is the thing you think about most? What's dominating your thoughts? All questions to ask, am I busy creating wilderness for myself? We are meant to see in this story that this is not just about David. It's about us. We are meant to see that this is our story. We are meant to understand Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. When we read the story of David, we are meant to see this. We are meant to understand Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that we sung about earlier. When we read the story about David, we are meant to see, we meant to be reminded of 1 John 1 verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We meant to see that this is a story about me.
See, and then we mean to see also what goes on as you read the rest of the story. Here's the next step in creating chaos and wilderness for ourselves, is what does David do now? So now he sleeps with her, rapes her, right? Word comes back that she was pregnant. So now it's wilderness season. So what does he do? He falls on his knees and he says, God, please help me. No. What does he do? Because <laughs> here's what we do when we create wilderness. We do a jolly good job of it. <laughs> and so what happens is he tries to fix his problem. He tries to, out of his own strength, here's the next step in kind of creating wilderness. We try and fix it ourselves. We rely on our own strength, our own intellect. And so he says, okay, go and get the guy from the battlefield because her husband, Uriah, um, he was on the battlefield. Okay, go and bring him and... Um, uh, so he meets him, okay, well, uh, go and sleep with your wife, because it would have been obvious that, you know, because he was on the battlefield, she's pregnant. So come home, you've been such a good soldier, go and sleep with your wife. He refuses. Ah, problem. Okay, um, then he tries to get him drunk. He doesn't, that doesn't work. So he tries to fix, and the more he tries to fix, the more wilderness he's creating for himself. Eventually the story ends in he kills him. And so often what we try and do in wilderness is we rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own plans, and we try and fix things ourselves. Are you in wilderness, and have you directly or indirectly tried to say or do things that thinks or leads to the same thing as, I've got this under control. I'll figure this thing out. I'll make a plan. It's like navigating wilderness without a map and blindfolded. A recipe for disaster. So we read this and we, and we meant to, to see just this utter mess and chaos that David has created for himself. And so we learn about ourselves. We learn in the story how we create wilderness and how we react in wilderness. But then we encounter God and we learn about God. You see, because we are left asking, we, we, at a point in the story where we can see somebody who has created a thorough mess, a complete and utter mess, and we're left wondering, is there a way out, or is this now going to be his life? Or is there a way forward? Is there a way out for him? Is there hope for him? And then in chapter 12, we read of this Nathan moment. And so we begin to learn a little, about, a little bit about God and where God is and how God responds in our seasons of wilderness of our own making. God sends the prophet Nathan to David to be almost as a beacon to help guide him back home. So again, I want you to notice when we are in wilderness of our own making, God knows where we are. He knows where to find us. And what we learn about God, God is not just leave us there to plot around and to roll around on our own mess, but God will send, and here in this case, the prophet Nathan to act as a beacon to help guide him back home. Such is the love of God for David. Such is God's grace and his mercy towards us that he will send. And so I will... Uh, never forget, we, we, 
we were in the wilderness about a week, and we were woken up at very early in the morning, and the instructor just kind of dropped us off in the middle of the wilderness without a map, and we had to find our way back home. And so what we had to do, we had to look for beacons. We had to go, okay, well, there's a river, there's a mountain, and we used these beacons to help navigate ourselves back home. And Nathan was that beacon that God sent into David's life. And for us as New Testament believers, as New Testament people, Jesus is that ultimate beacon, that, that ultimate uh, gift that God gives us to help bring us and make it possible for us to come back home. And so that's the thing that I want to say to you here is that God will never just leave you in your wilderness, but he will, there will always be a Nathan. God will send Nathan moments to you in your wilderness. Go and read 2 Samuel 12, 7 to 9, where God sends Nathan to David. God will send Nathans into your life, and it will look different. And I want you just to say to you, will you recognize these Nathan moments? Maybe it's it's a sermon like today is a Nathan moment for you. Maybe it's a, it's a cup of tea with a friend asking you some tough questions. Maybe it's a conversation, a Bible study. Maybe it's a, a song and God's spirit triggers something within you. Maybe it's a passage of the Bible. Whatever it is, I pray that God will open your eyes, that you'll see it as a Nathan moment, as God busy helping to guide you back home. Because the thing that we learn in this story is that now, as big a mess as what David made for himself, God's love compels him, God's love for you and me, to not leave us there. You see, and so then we see kind of how this plays out in the long run, the story of David. And we see it in Psalm 51. See, because David now had a choice. God sent Nathan to him, but now he had to decide. Is he going to just carry on in his wilderness? And so we're introduced to this idea of repentance. Or is he going to acknowledge and recognize I've made a mess of things. I've made some bad choices. The affections of my heart has shifted. My thought life is a mess. And that has led me to my heart, my mind, to my hands doing things that should not be doing, my feet going places that should not be going. And God's spirit, I think, will bring us to a place that calls us home where God says, oh, will you acknowledge, confess, and repent. Repentance, metanoia, the Greek word, that whole idea of a change of heart leads to a change of mind that leads to change in behavior. So David had that moment, really, where he had to make a decision. And it could have been, I'm king, I'm going to carry on as I want. But he didn't. Instead, he said, God, I have messed up. I've tried to fix it, but I can't. I need you. I just want to say to today, do you know why this story is in the Bible? Do you know why this story is here? Do you know why this story is included in the Bible? For you. That's why the story is here. It's for you. So that when you've created wilderness for yourself, you can go and read it and you can read about David. You can read about God. 
And you can read about how David realized he messed up. He confessed his sin. He repented. He said, God, change my mind, change my heart, change my hands and my feet so that I will... And, and calling upon God's forgiveness, leaning into God's forgiveness and God's comfort and direction and asking God and inviting God's forgiveness and God's healing into his choices and into his life. I mean to, when I read this, I mean to see this. It's there for you. So when you've created wilderness, you can go back and you can go and read the story. You can go back and you can read Psalm 51 and you can pray as David prayed. God, forgive me of my transgressions, creating me a clean heart, O God. Don't cast me away, but restore the joy of my salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. So that you can pray what David prayed. That's why it's in the Bible for you today who've created wilderness for yourself. Psalm 51, we see how David leaned into God, invited God's forgiveness through repentance into his life. And so I just want to say to you, if you've created wilderness for yourself, or you think you're busy creating wilderness for yourself, will you recognize the Nathan moments? Will you recognize that maybe this is a Nathan moment now here today for you? Don't walk away without following David's example where he fell on his knees and said, God, I need you. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, change my heart. I give my heart. You created me a pure heart. I give myself to you, Lord. I invite you in. That's what today is about. I pray that you'll do that. Matinee, let's, let's sing something. And I, I invite you to maybe just sit where you are. You don't need to stand, I don't think. Just sit where you are. Close your eyes. Don't worry about your neighbor. And say, God, just, uh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for your life and death on the cross and making it possible for me being that ultimate beacon to help guide me back onto the right path, back to my Father's house, back to my Father's arms. Jesus, I invite you again just to come into my life. I want to give my heart to you. I'm sorry with you by your grace let's turn this wilderness around amen thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week see you next time